We all want joy, but sometimes, for whatever reason, joy can be hard to come by. Whether you find yourself regularly inclined to anxiety, sadness, or depression, or you're in a dark season currently, joy can feel elusive. It's even more difficult when the Bible talks so much about joy. How can Christians lack joy? We're supposed to be the most joyful people on planet Earth. The reality is, life can be hard, and joy can be hard to find. But joy is real. So, what is joy? What does it look like? How do we cultivate it? And what's the point of joy? Join Vintage Church for four weeks as we uncover what Scripture has to say about this important and practical topic. Today we're going to kick off a brand new series creatively called The Joy Series. And uh, for each sermon of this series, we're going to corporately together pray a prayer. You're going to see these words on the screen. And I would just ask for you to join along with me and make this prayer your own. Father, we thank you that you are pure joy. We thank you that as a gift, you have shared your joy with us. Thank you that joy is not just something we can enjoy in a moment, but something that we can embody and live in forever. Because of sin and suffering, we acknowledge that joy can be difficult to find and enjoy. May we receive from your Holy Spirit the grace of joy that your Son Jesus offers us. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to practice the gift of joy, to cultivate and grow in this grace each day. By your grace, may we become people of joy, and may that joy be a foretaste of the joy we will have in you forevermore. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. If you're watching online, welcome as well. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be for the next four weeks. If you need a copy of God's Word, lift up your hand. Some of our Connect team members will have a copy for you, and they can put that in your hand. How many of you, just by a show of hands, would say that you are naturally a joyful person? Okay, okay. Far less than I expected, interestingly. Uh, so for me, this series and the topic of joy is a very personal topic, and the reason is because I do not find myself to be a naturally joyful person. Now, I like to think that I'm not a curmudgeon either. So I'm somewhere there in the middle of that spectrum. But for all of us, chances are there are qualities or traits or characteristics that you're like, I would like to exhibit those things. I'd like to think that all of us would say joy would be one of those qualities or traits that we're like, I would like to have that. I would like to exhibit that. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, then what scripture tells us is that there are certain qualities and traits 
that should simply be in us. And guess what? Joy is one of those. So what do you do when for whatever reason, joy is hard to come by? Whether naturally you're just not inclined to be all that joyful of a person or you find yourself in a circumstance where it's really hard to be joyful because of that particular circumstance. What do you do? And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. Today, I want to answer simply this question, because if we're going to talk about joy, we have to know what joy is, right? So the first question that I want to talk about today is this, what is joy? And what we're going to do is we're going to read Philippians chapter 4. This passage is kind of the anchor text for this whole series, we're going to be going back and forth and in, in, to different places, but back to Philippians chapter 4 next week. We're going to spend the entire time there. Today we're going to kind of jump around to some places because what we're really trying to do today is lay out a theology of joy or what we're supposed to believe about joy. So Philippians chapter 4, if you have a copy of God's Word, follow along. Starting in verse 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you don't believe him, what does he say? Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in what? Everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. So if we're going to unpack what joy is, what I want to do today is give you simply four definitions or four parts of this definition to answer the question, what is joy? Here's the first one. Joy is a gift received. Joy is a gift received. Now, Paul wrote a lot of other letters, including the, the book of Philippians, but he also wrote one called to the Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is... He starts with love, and where does he go next? Joy. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now, when we talk about joy being a gift received, or Paul saying the fruit of the Spirit is joy, what we're really getting at is this. Joy is a grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. Grace, I think, is another way to say gift. 
And the thing about a gift is you do what with a gift? Receive it. You receive a gift, meaning there's nothing you can do to get that gift. There's nothing you can do to earn that gift. You have to simply have open hands to receive that gift. Galatians 5 is interesting because in the ancient world, it was very common to have what was called a virtue list. So if you are familiar with Galatians chapter 5, you're familiar with Paul giving this long line of fruit where he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? That's what in the ancient world was called a virtue list. And what, what would happen is philosophers would provide their own list of what they thought would be virtues that you would need to live by. And if you look in the New Testament, you will find several examples of these. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in the book of James, we just looked at one. There's all kinds of virtue lists, and in many places, there's overlap where there are things that they say that are similar, and in some places, there are differences. But the point that the ancient philosophers were making, and the point that Paul is making, is simply to say, these are the kinds of virtues that we should have. Paul says if you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit in you, your life should be animated with what? Joy. It's a gift received. Now, also in the ancient world, they talked about virtue as something that's acquired and something that was infused. The idea of being acquired is that you do something for it. You work to cultivate it and it becomes yours. The idea of a virtue being infused is it is given and it is then what? Received. What Paul is getting at when he says the fruit of the Spirit is joy is he's getting at this idea that it is a grace, it is a gift received. And while it might not appear on the surface, all of this is wrapped up in the good news of Jesus Christ. I hope that when you think about Jesus, one of the first things that comes to your mind is the word grace. Because everything that Jesus provides comes by what? Grace. Grace is that thing that you get, that gift you receive that you've done nothing for. Jesus came, he is God, and he came to earth and he put on flesh and he lived a perfect sinless life. And he went to the cross and he died, not for his sin, but for the sins of humanity, my sin, your sin, all of our sin. But he then stayed in the grave for three days and at the end of three days he rose from the grave defeating sin, death, and hell. And what we learn is that then in the book of Acts, 40 days after Jesus comes back from the grave, what happens is the Holy Spirit falls on those who follow him. And it's the Holy Spirit that Paul says in Galatians 5 that gives us these fruit or these gifts. And what part of what Paul is wanting to, to get us to understand is Jesus didn't just die and rise. The Holy Spirit didn't just come to save you from hell. 
There is a reality that outside from Jesus, separated from Jesus, you are then separated from God. There is a reality that the only way to the Father, the only way to be reconciled with God, the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus. To turn away from your sins and in faith to turn and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus and to confess that faith in baptism. That's true. But the vision that Scripture has for your life The vision that God has for your life is not just that you would be saved from hell, but that you would actually become a kind of person, a kingdom person. And that kind of person is someone who has what? Joy. And Paul is saying that's what the Holy Spirit gives us. That's what it looks like to receive this gift. That's what happens when joy is understood and seen as a grace. I mean, think about it like this. Think about any kind of fruit tree, right? That's what Paul is saying, that these virtues are a fruit of the Spirit. Think about any kind of fruit tree. There is no fruit without a what? And there's no tree without a what? Oh, we, we got to go. Come on. Now we're, we're getting into science here. I know. This is like, ah, it hurts on a Sunday morning. What do you plant in the ground to produce? There we go. Woo. So you plant this seed in the ground to produce a tree that produces fruit. There is no fruit without a what? Seed. And let's just take it a step further. There's no fruit without sun, without water, and without good soil. All those things, the seed, the soil, the sun, the water, are what? Gifts. If any of you can produce rain, I don't know what's taking you so long. (laughs) Right? They're all gifts. And that's what Paul is getting at when he says this is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a gift received. The only way to receive that joy is ultimately to receive Jesus. Receive joy. But there's another part to our understanding of Joy. Joy is a gift received, but number two, joy is a gift enjoyed. Philippians 4, the passage we just read, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say what? Rejoice. Why is joy a gift to be enjoyed? Because part of what makes joy joy is that it is an emotion. But when you see someone who is joyful, you know that they're joyful. You might not know why they're joyful. You might not know the source of their joy, but you can see based on their emotion that they are in fact joyful. Just because emotions, and this is true, just because emotions can be misleading or can be fleeting doesn't mean they're opposed to godliness. I think in some ways we think like, well, no, 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 I can't be joyful because to be joyful then is to not be godly. But we have to remember that who created us? God. 
And it is natural for us to have feelings, to have emotions, which means God created us to feel. So therefore, feeling must be good. Emotions must be good. I mean, think about it like this. Again, there's a danger in pursuing pleasure as the ultimate end, right? That's not good. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about joy. Nature does tell us, though, that we're created to experience and feel pleasure. Pleasure feels good because your body releases a chemical called what? Dopamine. Anything that you enjoy in life, the reason that you enjoy it is because your body releases dopamine when you do it. Now, who created dopamine? God did. God created dopamine for you to experience and feel pleasure. Joy is an emotion that we get to enjoy. Now, here's the reality. Mental health, emotional health, life circumstances are different for all of us. And there's a good chance that some of you in this room are going through more difficult life circumstances than others. There's a good chance that some of you are dealing with mental or emotional health issues right now that makes it hard to enjoy life and find joy in life. One author says it like this. He says, we're not all dealt the same hand when it comes to happiness, either through genetics or life circumstances. That's just a reality. That doesn't mean joy can't be enjoyed. That doesn't mean that we can't have joy and enjoyment. It's just a reality that we have to take into consideration. At the end of each one of these messages, one of the things that we're going to provide for you is a, a mental health moment. And we've got four different counselors lined up for the next four weeks just to give you kind of a snapshot of how joy can be and is connected to mental health. And you're going to see that today. And you're going to see how like sometimes life and the circumstances of life are difficult enough to find joy, but we can find joy in those circumstances still. Joy is an emotion because we were created to feel. But joy is also a gift to be enjoyed because God is joy and his creation is good. Look at Psalm 35. Psalm 35 says, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for what? Joy. And be what? Glad and save evermore. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. I mean, God in the Psalms, particularly Psalm 95, is telling us to shout for joy. He's telling us to express emotion. And I just thought about it this week. Some of the ways or things in which we are called to find joy in, things like this in the Old Testament, the birth of children, Psalm 113.9, a birthday, Job 3.7, the continuation of life from youth to old age, Ecclesiastes 11. Judges 9 and Psalm 104 tells us to find joy in good wine and oil. 
A good word provides joy in Proverbs 12 and Proverbs 15. Sexual love in the book of Song of Songs. Married life in Proverbs 5. A good harvest in Isaiah 9. The capacity to eat. Praise God. Right? Good food. The capacity to eat, drink, and enjoy work in Ecclesiastes 3 and 5 and 8. God, God gives us these things and he says, enjoy them. Because I am good, and because I am good, my creation is good. We're called to enjoy those things. One commentator says this, and I think this is so true. He says, happiness is at least, initially, a gift of creation, not redemption. Now, what he's not saying is that happiness or joy is not a gift of redemption, but I think what he's getting at is sometimes we skip over the goodness of creation to just get straight to redemption. To simply say, well, yeah, the world is completely broken. So where we'll find joy is in what God has done for us in Christ. And that is true. The world is broken. I think we can all attest to that. Whether you're the most joyful person in the world or not, you can look out at our world and say, I don't think things are the way they're meant to be. But at the same time, in the midst of the brokenness, you can still see good in creation. And when we see that good, we're called to be reminded that we were actually created for what? Joy. We were created for it. A few weeks ago, Rachel and I were out of town. We got away and we went to Waco, home of the silos, right? Has anybody ever been there before? There's two things in Waco, Baylor and the silos. That is it. <laughs> but we went there, and one of the reasons we went there is because one of our favorite artists was playing there that weekend. I actually got to meet him. Now we're very good friends. His name's Drew Holcomb. I got a picture for you. Look at that. We're good friends. I'm joking. But he wrote a song that I wanted to share with you that I think just gets at the heart of what we're talking about. It's a song called Gratitude. And just the beginning of this song, it says, Light in the morning, coffee in my cup. The sound of your footsteps waking me up. The face of an old friend you haven't seen in years. Stories turn to songs, laughter to tears. These things aren't a given. They're a gift to behold. Like the first leaves of autumn our breath in the cold. Gratitude. Sometimes all you need is gratitude. I mean, he's just in words encapsulating the goodness of creation and the fact that we're called to find joy in that. Now look, that doesn't mean that joy is where we place our, our creation is where we place our ultimate joy. The reason we can find joy in creation is because God is the source of both creation and joy. Look at how one author describes this. He says, if we seek joy as a profitable good for ourselves, it will escape us. If we seek it as a beautiful good in God, we are then and only then in a position to experience it as something good for us. Another way 
one person said it is this, joy is an aliveness and attentiveness to the goodness of God. We're called to enjoy. Joy is a gift to enjoy. So the challenge for us is that we would enjoy correctly. Joy is something that we receive. It's something we enjoy. But number three, joy is a gift practiced. Philippians chapter four, verse nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And if you know anything about the book of Philippians, one of the things that it is known for is what? Joy. Countless times in just four chapters, Paul talks about his joy. And the incredible thing about that joy is that Paul wrote the book of Philippians, this letter to this church, from where? Prison. And yet he had joy. Why is joy a gift to be practiced? Because joy is a virtue. Remember how I was telling you about these virtue lists in the ancient world and in the New Testament. It's a gift received. It's a grace. But part of what makes it a grace is it's a virtue. It's something that we are called to live out. And the way in which we grow in virtue is through practice. Virtue requires practice. Practice shapes us into the kind of person we want to become. Now, I, I know, you're thinking like this, I don't, I don't see this, this doesn't make sense to me. Just think about life. Have you ever started something and it's so out of character for you? And you're like, I'm doing this, but this isn't who I am. The example for me, I don't know if you guys know this, I am an Olympic weightlifter. Did you know that? I know all my sermon illustrations come from the gym. That's because gym equals life. <laughs> God set up physical activity to mirror the spiritual life. I, I truly believe that. And if you would have asked me maybe like three years ago, hey, are you an Olympic weightlifter? I would be like, absolutely not. Like, I just do this because I'm trying to figure something out, maybe have a hobby, maybe have fun. But listen, I own a singlet now. You ever seen a grown man in one of those before? <laughs> exactly. Even my wife doesn't want to see that. Three days a week, I practice Olympic weightlifting. Two or three times a year, I actually compete in Olympic weightlifting competitions. At some point, you move from practicing something to it actually becoming who you are. Another way to put this, and I know we don't like this because it just, it doesn't seem authentic and real when we say, fake it till you what? Make it. That's biblical. I think Jesus said that. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Because there is a reality about your identity that when you know you're called to be something, there's, there's going to be a season of life where it doesn't feel like that's who you are. But when you actually do the things that, say, a joyful person does, guess what happens? 
you become joyful. Paul told the Philippians to practice the things that he taught them and he had shown them. And that as they practiced those things, they would become what? Those things, including joyful. When you practice, you cultivate virtue. Listen to how N.T. Wright describes this. He is commenting on the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. He says, the normal implication is that you have to work at something. If you have to work at something, it can't really be authentic. But that misses the point, and it certainly isn't implied by Paul's language of fruit. Follow where he's going. He says, after all, a fruit tree needs to be planted and watered, tended and pruned, protected against the elements and various kinds of diseases, defended against some predators, both animal and vegetable. These qualities are in short what? Virtues. Things you have to think through, work at, cultivate and practice. Why do we talk so much about spiritual habits? Things like Bible reading, prayer. Things like coming on a Sunday morning and being in corporate worship. Things like fasting and Sabbath and all of these sorts of habits. Because the point is not for you just to read your Bible. But a follower of Jesus does what? They read their Bible. A follower of Jesus does what? They pray. A follower of Jesus does what? They, they worship God corporately. And here's what happens when you practice these things, these disciplines and these habits. Slowly in your practice of those habits, you become the kind of person that does those things. I know immediately, when I say some of those things, you immediately start thinking maybe if you've grown up in the church, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not working for anything. Everything's a gift, right? It's grace, and we're talking about two different things here. Dallas Willard said it like this. He said, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. We're not talking about earning salvation. Grace is a what? Gift. A gift received. But what we are talking about is that becoming the kind of person that God wants you to become requires effort. It requires practice. And the beautiful thing that happens is the Holy Spirit begins to work through your practice to slowly transform you into the kind of person that God wants you to become. Into what we're talking about, a joyful person. So the challenge for us is to practice joy. If you want to hear more about that, here's the plug, come next week. That's all next week, I promise. Lastly, and this is the point, joy is a gift habituated. What do I mean when I say Habituated. What I mean is that joy is a disposition. It's who you are. 
Paul talks about this all the time, but there's one particular place in 2 Corinthians that I want to point you to. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. It's a very small section of this verse. He says this, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I mean, do you get what Paul's saying here? Paul is saying, look, we could be sorrowful, and yet we're doing what? Rejoicing. Life's circumstances could be the worst possible circumstances you find yourself in, and yet you are able to be someone who exhibits joy. And the reason that Paul can say that is because joy for him no longer is just an emotion. Right? We talked about that. Joy is a gift to be enjoyed, but it has to move beyond that. Paul is saying that when you can look at life's circumstances and your circumstances do not lead you to immediately experience joy, then what you have to begin to do is live a life that habituates joy, where regardless of the circumstances you're going through, you can find what? Joy. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And the reason, the reason that joy should become a disposition, it should be part of our character, is because of what we've already talked about. Joy is an attribute of God. Joy is who God is. At all times, in all circumstances, God is joy. Look at Psalm 16, verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. Do you know why in the presence of God there's fullness of joy? Because he is joy. So it doesn't matter what you're going through, what you're experiencing, if you're in the presence of God, by the way, where's God? Everywhere. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's in you, then in his presence there is what? Fullness of joy. Not just like an inkling of joy, not just a, a, a small morsel of joy, but fullness of joy. That's what it means to be a person who has habituated this gift to become a joyful person. A 5th and 6th century theologian, Pseudo-Dionysus, we call him that because we really don't know what his name was. He said this, he says, God is his own blessedness. Blessedness and God are the same. Through his intellect, God is fully aware of his own perfection and through his will, he supremely loves it. That is, reposes, or that fancy word for rests in, he rests peacefully in it. And from this restful place springs joy. The joy with which God delights in himself as the supreme good. This is why we can have joy. This is why we can find joy, not just in circumstances, but we can become a person who is just joyful. Because God is joy. And in the beauty of the gospel, God gives himself to us. We receive God, and in receiving God, we receive what? Joy. And if that's true, then what we need to do is we need to anticipate joy. 
There is a reality that life's circumstances do not match up with what I'm talking about. I get that. Some of you are like, Dustin, you have no idea what I'm going through. This is just so much baloney, I can't believe it. Like, is this just positive talk? Like, if I just talk myself up enough, I'll, I'll feel better about life. We're talking about something more than that. The reality is this. The reality is the joy that we experience now, either in creation or where we actually begin to habituate joy and we actually become a joyful person, it is still a foretaste of what is to come. Because on this side of eternity, the world in which we live is in fact broken. It is broken for me. It is broken for you. It is broken for your family. It is broken in our community. It is broken in this church. It is broken in our state. It is broken in our country. It is broken in our world. And there is no personal fix it that I can do or you can do. There is no political agenda that will fix it. The only way that our world is fixed is if our Savior and Lord Jesus returns and he makes all things new. And so now we sit in this place where we begin to experience some of the joy that we've always been meant to experience. And yet we anticipate that there is more to come. But the beautiful thing is this. Even as we anticipate, we get to practice for what's to come. I want to become a, a joyful person because when I get on the other side of eternity, I know that that's all I'm ever going to experience. And so I want to be practicing it now. I want my kids to see the kind of joy that the Lord should bring. I want you to see that regardless of what's going on in my life or what's going on in your life, this is the kind of life we're called to live. We're called to be joyful people in the midst of pain, suffering, and evil. Because the pain and the suffering and the evil does not define us. It is a reality, but it does not define us. What defines us is the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in that, there is great joy. That's what it means to be, to find, to have joy. Joy is a gift received. Joy is a gift enjoyed. Joy is a gift practiced. And now and forevermore, joy is a gift to be habituated. May we be people of joy. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are the source of joy. 
every single thing that we enjoy, every moment where for whatever reason we have joy welling up in us, the only reason we have it is because it is a gift that you have given. Whether it is of common grace and just enjoying your creation or it is of special saving grace because your spirit has implanted it within us. And so, Father, this week, help us to understand joy. Maybe, God, help us to take an internal diagnostic of everything going on and ask ourselves, are we joyful people? And if we're not, why not? Help us now, God, as we begin that work in responding to you. We love you, and we thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll see you next week.